Hello and welcome to No Rest for the Weekend, where we go behind the scenes and talk to the creators of independent entertainment. I'm Jason Godby. And I'm Chris Gillard. And we're here at Soundhouse Audio in the studio with another edition of Indie Film News. And today we have a very special guest in the studio with us, uh, one of the partners of uh, Behind the Rabbit Productions and my good friend for a really long time, Mr. Marcello Carnivale. Welcome, Marcello. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Chris. It is really great to be here. Putting on the radio voice. Hey. <laughs> uh, so just in case uh, this might be the first show that you're listening to, uh, this is a bonus episode that we're offering. It's an audio exclusive as part of our regular show, which comes out every Wednesday. Uh, so you can catch no rest of the weekend. If you want to catch more episodes, uh, definitely subscribe to this space, whichever space you happen to be listening to this on. And uh, you can always find more episodes on our website, norestoftheweekendpodcast.com. So with that, we're going to jump into our first story. Chris, what do we got? All right. Netflix has a new executive in charge of independent film and documentary features. Yes, this story comes to us from Variety. Uh, Netflix has just elevated Lisa Nishimura to vice president of independent film and documentary features. There's a shift from her prior post as VP of original documentary and comedy programming. She will now oversee independent film uh, as English and non-English documentary features, documentary shorts, and limited documentary series such as Wild Wild Country and Our Planet. Several comedy and documentary series that she's been developing will be grandfathered in as part of her project slate. So uh, one of the quotes that we have here says, Lisa blazed a trail within Netflix building our documentary and comedy initiatives. We were so lucky to have her expand her role to, into indie films. Uh, this was Netflix's VP of original film, Scott Stuber. Uh, in a statement, he said, Lisa joins Matt Brody and Ian Brickey, who have built our indie film business over the last several years. Together, they will continue to deepen our talent relationships and give diverse and unique storytellers a home to share their films. I'm looking forward to working with Lisa alongside Lisa. Tendo Nagenda? and David Cossey as we grow our film studio. Uh, so congrats to Lisa, uh, there's some solid information. So if you guys are looking to get a deal with Netflix, I just dropped a bunch of names that y'all can look up and, and see who you know to try and get in there. And then you can, you know, when they tell tell you to don't call them, yes. you can blame me for don't that. Stop stalking me. <laughs> Where did you hear this? Deactivating their, yeah. all their accounts. It was that guy on that podcast, No Rest for the Weekend. Uh, anyway, so uh, we're going to move on. Chris, what, what's our next item up for bid? Next up, we've got, it's a new month, so we've got our film festival deadline report. And these are all according to filmfreeway.com. Correct Amundo. So uh, we're going to start loco. These are a list of um, film festivals with upcoming deadlines in April. So it's March 29th right now. Some of these you're going to, a lot of these are April 1st. So you better get your materials out like pronto. And uh, some of these are later in the month, but this will give you a preview. This is only uh, about 10 of them. There's a ton of them on Film Freeway. But uh, we're going to start local and then go international. I'll start with the first one, which is the New York TV Festival. Uh, their early bird deadline is March 31st, so that's like uh, two days. So submit right now if you want that one. Their event pl takes place from November 21st to the 23rd. Uh, that is in New York City right here. They also have other – that's their early bird deadline, so they'll have other deadlines later on. All right. Uh, the next one. All right, so – now a festival right here in Brooklyn, uh, the Art of Brooklyn Film Festival. Uh, they've been around for eight years. 
This festival is devoted to Brooklyn's vibrant film and media scene. They accept films and screenplays from all over as long as they're connected to the borough in some way, whether it's cast and crew, production, content, theme, setting, etc. Their, dead, their late deadline is April 1st and their extended deadline is April 21st. The event takes place from June 1st to June 9th in Brooklyn. Nice. And then we got... Uh, this year is the 55th Chicago International Film Festival. Their early bird deadline is April 8th, so if you have some time for that one. But get your materials together. That festival runs from October 16th to the 27th. Then we have the Film One Fest. This film festival is only for films under two minutes long. And uh, they say while all genres and all film styles are, are requested and accepted, the films must be, quote, family-friendly. I'm not sure what the definition of family friendly is. Um, probably not a lot of uh, PG thirteen. PG thirteen. PG thirteen. PG thirteen. That's probably a hard thirteen. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so whatever your definition of family friendly is, uh, but their deadline is April first, which is coming up uh, right quick, and then that that event takes place on July fifteenth in the beautiful Atlantic Highlands Marina in historic Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey. Uh, next up is the Ojai Film Festival, and that's one has been running for 19 years. Wow. You can catch their early deadline if you submit your film by April 1st. This fest is rated very highly on Film Freeway, and according to the site, since 2000, 15 alumni have received Academy Award nominations, two have won an Oscar, and numerous others have gone on to gain distribution and win prestigious awards, so not too shabby. Yeah, and... Coming up is the Maui Film Festival. This is an interesting one. Listen to these categories. We have mobile movies, which is projects shot 100% on an iPhone or Android mobile device. Hero shots, which are projects 100% shot on GoPro cameras, the mini action cams. Uh, rhythm and Hues, which are music videos, shorts, or features. Brands take stands. Uh, recognizing specifically co-created content in partnership between filmmakers and brands to educate, celebrate, and generate mandates for changing what is to what might be. Take that as it is. And It Lives Online, web series, periodic short-form webisodes, one-of-a-kind, and genre-bending storytelling created with the intention of living an online rather than traditional theatrical life. Their regular deadline is April 1st, and the event takes place in Kihai, Hawaii, from June 12th to June 16th. I would like to attend. What about you, Chris? Yeah, let's go. All right, Dude, the- <laughs> mahalo. Uh, but that sounds like a total surf bro festival. That know? sounds like a festival where like a lot of people just don't show up. They just go to the beach. Right. They just <laughs> yeah. hang out. Oh, I got All this film festival thing to go to. Yeah. yeah. The uh, the festival's on the beach probably. Yeah, right. They they've got screens set up. You know, like you go there at night. They light it yeah. with uh, with frisbee headlights. Get frisbees <laughs> knock into the patrons and everything like that. I just I just picture like all these people making music videos with uh, with GoPros attached to surfboards. Yeah, that's what I was like. It's probably yeah. It, it's, it's that's half the that's festival. What I right there. Is, yeah, it's like surf shots and GoPros. Yeah, everybody I looks just, vaguely like Jason Momoa. <laughs> I would love to look vaguely like Jason Momoa, right? I would look va- I would love to look like vaguely like Jason Momoa's like dead grandfather, probably. Right. Uh, yeah. I'll settle for his stunt double. Yeah, right. um, <laughs> anyway, uh, still out on out west, the next film festival we got is the L.A. Femme International Film Festival. The early bird lit deadline for that one is April second, and the event takes place from October eleventh to the fourteenth in Los Angeles. Some key points to remember for this one, uh, a woman needs to be involved 
in one of the three film positions, the director, producer, or writer. And then for writers of screenplays and TV pilots, at least one woman has to be on the writing team. All right. So uh, you got to, you gotta, if fellas, you want to be in that one, get a woman to help yeah. you do one of those five things, Girl. write, direct, produce. Girl uh, and power. if you're a woman out there, get a guy to screw everything up. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, and then we're going to go international. All right, uh, international film festival. So the Berlin Sci-Fi Film Festival, uh, their early bird deadline is also, a lot of these are April 1st. Yeah, their early bird deadline is April 1st. They've been around for two years, and all films submitted obviously must be in the sci-fi genre, hence the name. They accept features, shorts, and even fan films. And also coming up, the Festival of Fear International Film Festival in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada has been around for about three years and runs from October 11th to the 13th. All films in that fest are in the horror genre or horror-related. Sounds a lot of fun. Yeah, I found a lot of horror film festivals. So if, you're, if your movie, if your indie film is a horror film, there's a lot of stuff to submit to. There's a ton of ones, but yeah. I thought that one was particularly interesting. I think indie film and horror film kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. now they do. Now, they do. now a lot of yeah. any, if you want to make money in indie film, yeah, uh, right, you, you right. make a horror film. Yep. Um, and then the next one, and the next and last one is the Rain Dance Film Festival which is apparently the largest independent film festival in the UK. Uh, currently, it's uh, rated uh, in, the top t- in the top 10 of international film festivals for filmmakers. This festival is located in London, England, and uh, takes place on September 18th to the 29th, and their early bird deadline is the 26th. Now, all of these film festivals, when I was looking, these, these are rated like gold. A lot of these are Academy Award winning, or Academy Award qualifying film festivals all right but these are just the top ones there's a billion other ones on filmfreeway.com uh in case you work at film freeway and would like to sponsor our podcast hit us up because we just gave you guys a big old shout out uh so uh chris what do we got for the main story our main story is on steven soderbergh and the whole phenomenon of iphone filmmaking Okay, so we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive here on iPhone filmmaking, particularly for features as they stand at this moment. So uh, first, a little history. In case you didn't know this, and this surprised me when I look it up, the iPhone was first released in the summer of 2007. Uh, it, revolutionary, uh, and, it, and in 2015, the feature film Tangerine uh, was released, which popular, that's the film that everybody talks about when you say this feature was made on an iPhone. So that really popularized the technique of using an iPhone to shoot a movie on and to give you a little bit about that film. So that was Sean Baker's film. He used the iPhone 5S with an anamorphic lens adapter and used the app Filmic Pro to shoot Tangerine because of budgetary constraints. To, and just to be clear, so when people say they used an iPhone, it's not like they used one, one phone. Right. Yeah, the phone was his primary camera. Yeah, this, yeah. and he, he, he used several phones, and they were just being used as cameras. It wasn't like he took the phone out of his pocket and shot a feature film on it, right. uh, which I think is the impression people have. When now, they there say was a right. lot of setup in this. Yeah. He had rigs for the phone. Right. He had mounts for them. He had special, as you said, special yeah. lens adapter. Yeah. And that Filmic app. He wasn't just putting it in airplane yeah, mode. And exactly. Going. And yeah. the Filmic app, which I use a lot in my professional life, is a great, is a very, very powerful app. And at that time, uh, I, at the time in 2015, the video features of the iPhone 
were not as advanced as they are now. Right. So a lot of people wanted additional abilities to change f-stop, to change color right. on the iPhone, and natively on the iPhone, those uh, capabilities were just not not there. Yet. Not there yet. Yeah. So Film, Filmic Pro really took over a lot yeah. of those duties, so that you could adjust those things, which are not normally adjustable. Kind of like what Magic Lantern did for. Um, the, the early DSLRs right. that shot video gave filmmakers, gave creators all these additional functionality that wasn't native to the to the camera coming out. So Filmic kind of did that. So it was a real godsend for a lot of uh, yeah. I, filmmakers. I mean, you've used it. I've used that that app. Um, yeah. We'll get more into it, but just also just to give you the full picture, uh, Tangerine wasn't made for like five bucks. It was. It was a $100,000 budget movie, right. which is a low budget for a feature film. But I know people making, uh, I've, I've met people and interviewed people have made feature films with actual cameras for $50,000, $80,000, less than $100,000. Right. Um, and that movie, you know, it grossed over $700,000 domestically. So good on him, which, you know, not bad for a movie shot on a phone. And then uh, the other reason I mentioned Tangerine is because that to me, and I've, I've had people say this on the podcast, I've had people say this to me real, that's the movie that everybody goes, oh, uh, you, you have no excuses now. You can shoot a movie on a phone. Um, but that's what we're going to get into. Um, so the question here is like, can you really? Uh, and and perhaps, I mean, for short short film maybe, um, you know, that, that feature film was less than 100, it was $100,000. Uh, Sean Baker went on to make the Florida Project in 2017. Uh, this was a critically acclaimed film uh, with the, and that had a real budget, two million dollars. They shot it on the Alexa Mini and Panavision cameras. I think they did one scene shot on a 6s uh, mm. iPhone, and that would go on to gross six million domestically. So, I mean, when he could upgrade, he did. He yeah, did. He, did. he wasn't like I'm sticking with yeah, the phone, well, right? Uh, which. Now, and all this is a preamble to Soderbergh. Steven Soderbergh, uh, you know, for... Well, I just wanted to mention something. In filmmaking, you know, it's not uncommon for directors and filmmakers to kind of go that low-budget route just to get the shot. I don't know if you remember, like, Michael Mann used to do it all the time with DV cams. Right. So, like, mm -hmm. if you look at a lot of Michael Mann films... Some of it's shot 35 millimeter, and all of a sudden, some of it's shot in digital video, like mini DV or right. or, or, uh, or beta or beta cam. Even so he was even, another one of those pioneers. Yeah, too. so it, it, this is nothing new. When when we say like filmmakers have gone out of their way to kind of cut costs or even come up with like creative ways of solving problems by shooting on uh, less than traditional, you know, quality cameras, it, and it's it's always goes back to that argument: is that is it the gear? Or is it the people behind me? Yeah, camera? absolutely. Right. And, and, you know, um, so we're going to talk about Steven Sonnenberg. And just to give you guys, because he's definitely one of those, you know, he's a real he's a real pioneer. You know, uh, he's an indie film legend. He His breakout film was Sex, Lies, and Videotape, uh, which hit screens in 1989, which is the same year Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Yeah. Uh, and that was really, those films were the ones that really kicked the, the film indie film movement into the 90s with guys like Robert Rodriguez and Tarantino and Kevin Smith. And this was all before the digital revolution and way before anybody ever thought they could make a film on a phone. They thought the phone could have a camera. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and also mobile phones were a lot bigger and yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, more for, expensive. For, for, 
for our younger listeners, <laughs> right? Um, and we do have some out there. Uh, the you know, a mobile phone was a giant brick that maybe existed in your car, yeah. um, and but it, it was also around co- in a big it was very bag. cost prohibitive as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, yeah. not just the device itself, but just having a service plan was oh, very yeah. cost prohibitive. Yeah, yeah if you like, had a, people like, had these people had beepers back then, mm-hmm. and and you and you could give your beeper number to one person because. If you there was no there was no digital readout of what number was calling you back then, yeah, right? So like the only people who had them were like doctors, doctors, because right, yeah. they know. knew that was somebody paging them. Right. And they were called pocket pagers. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, oh my god, they weren't god. called beepers. They were called yeah, pocket, pocket pagers. pagers. Yes. Right. Um, so you know, we're gonna talk a little bit. So just to give you, that's like the nineties. Yeah. You know, in nineteen eighty nine, this is what we we're talking yeah. about. So, so in like less than you know. Less than 20 years, we went from that to being able to shoot a movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's always funny, and I always bring this up when, when I talk to people in in my, you know, day-to-day, is, you know, it used to be like when, Jay, you and I were up and coming, you know, in the indie scene back then, you needed hundreds upon thousands of dollars just to rent equipment. We're not even talking buying equipment. Just yeah. to rent equipment. And buy film. And, that's, and that was just for pre-production. Then you needed film. Then you needed development cost. If you even had the money to do any kind of dailies or anything like that, and then you had to rent a studio and all that stuff. Today, I can walk into a Best Buy or a Target with less than a thousand bucks in my pocket, walk out with a laptop and a camera, or even just use my phone and literally have something that could be shown in a movie theater within 24 hours or less. Yeah. So the just the fact that the technology has progressed yeah. so advanced. Yeah, I want I want to talk about with you in a minute because we did a test of the Evo gimbal yeah. a while back yeah. with your iPhone 8. Thank you to Evo for uh, that. And uh yes and uh also just so you know, uh just I want to throw this out there. This this podcast is not sponsored. We're not sponsored by Apple or iPhone. We're talking about iPhones now because that's the most popular one. Uh, we're also not, you know, uh, sponsored by any of these camera companies I'm going to mention because I want to ask some key questions about this stuff. And I because I, I think it's really interesting uh, just to give you some more background on Soderbergh. You know, this is an Oscar winning director. Uh, he was nominated for Aaron Brockovich in Traffic. He won Best Director for Traffic. Um, and then just recently in 2018 and 20 and within a year of each other, he's released not one but two movies that were shot on an iPhone. So the first one he did was Unsane, which is a gritty psychological thriller with Claire Foy. Uh, Unsane was made for a modest budget of a million five, grossed 14 million worldwide, shot on the iPhone 7 Plus, uh, also using the Filmic Pro app. And his follow-up was called High Flying Bird, and that was released on Netflix in 2019. That was shot on the iPhone 8, same camera, same phone that uh, Marcello has. And, um, I, as of the writing of this piece, I looked it up. I tried to find the uh, the budget information on that, and uh, I couldn't because Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> Netflix does we not We won't tell you how much yeah. people love us. Yeah. Um, so um, Just take our word for it. Yes. <laughs> just, it's doing well. Yes. <laughs> people like it. It is on the platform. Uh, so in a, in a recent interview with IndieWire.com, Soderbergh, um, he was talking about working with the iPhone, and he said that he wanted to move more quickly, use lightweight equipment, get in and out of tight spaces, especially for unseen, because I think they shot in practical locations for that. And then, you know, he thought the iPhone was the best tool for that. And then he also mentioned a drawback, which is another thing I want to talk about. So even if you have Filmic Pro, 
the iPhone will still adjust it's, for yeah, light. It's a digital. It's a digital shutter, so you don't have a manual shutter in there, and it's all on a micro scale. So you're talking about you know very very small. You know how big is the iPhone sensor? It's like it's like the size of your pinky nail. It's not even that big. Really, it's, it's, it's smaller. It's really small. Yeah. I mean, but but the great thing is about it is that you know Soderbergh has always been one of these filmmakers that has always kind of tried to always make film more real. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. having actors show up, do their own makeup, giving them the script literally like moments before they're tell- having them improvise everything. You know, he he always loves to do that. Always. I mean, he started that with Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Exactly. Yeah. He, you know? he loves to do this very kind of when he's doing his his art and not his money making stuff. I mean, he really likes to do that. He really likes to push those envelopes. And a lot of filmmakers always have been wanting that ability to kind of just take the camera and put it anywhere right and just mm-hmm. not ca- not have to worry about uh, gigantic tripod power lights you know cables everything they want to just be able to put it anywhere and that's why you know these smaller cameras and they're getting smaller all the time they're getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller I mean look at the Ari the Ari now is the the body itself. The red was very very you know was yeah the very, brain very, on the red is not big very very revolutionary in that the only drawbacks of these things is a they're very cost prohibitive b they are very uh, power hungry so they take a lot of power they take you know you have to have a lot of power to run them the files they produce are very very large files you need dedicated equipment there's and also they're very modular in that they are made to have many different components connected yeah, to that. Right. So you've got the brain of the camera, you've got the lens of the camera, you've got the battery pack, you've got whatever support system you're using for right. the camera. Yeah. Eventually and, it's not so light or small. Yeah, right. but, but, the, but because it starts out so light is the only reason that you can really use it when you put all this accoutrement to yeah, it. Right. You know, I just but like it ain't to, an iPhone. No, right. but I just you like know? to point out the fact that my very first job was, I don't know if you remember, uh, uh, Channel 62 in uh, Oh my god, Kingston. yeah. Oh my god. All right, my first job was a summer job working there. And those cameras which were uh beta cam cameras mm-hmm. which was the broadcast standard of the time, these giant uh tapes. This was not digital beta. This is beta cam. These were $150,000 cameras with $70,000 lenses. My iPhone 8 shoots at 100 times the resolution <laughs> and quality and color gamut that those cameras ever did. So, you know, this is, it, it's it's very revolutionary. It's very great that we have this cool stuff and that this can do it. There are always going to be drawbacks and limitations. Sure. But these filmmakers are always looking for that. They're always right. looking for the ability to, to kind of put the camera in some kind of really raw, weird, weird place. Yeah, and... to represent the scene, to get that look that they wanted. Right. But here's, here's my question. So um, we have these small cameras now. We've got like the Sony a7 III. We've got the uh, the GH5. Both great cameras. We've got the the new Blackmagic camera, which we talked about on the last show. Mm-hmm. So, and these are small cameras. I mean, these are the size of DSLRs. Actually, the A7 and the G5, those are uh, mirrorless, I believe. Yeah, so they're, they're even smaller than, yeah. a, than DSLRs. Yeah. So, but so if you have these, which have interchangeable lenses, much better dynamic range than an iPhone. Uh, and you're able to get shallow depth of field. You're able to get a more quote filmic type look. If you ha- and they're not in in terms of cost. Like just to give you an idea, so the iPhone uh, 10, the iPhone 10s, that ranges from 700 to maybe a little over a thousand dollars. Right. Right. Now you can shoot 4K with that, but 
you're not going to buy one phone to shoot your entire movie. There's no way it could, if, especially if you're shooting in 4K, right. there's no way one phone is going to have that, that uh, a much memory or battery power right. to take you through a full day shoot. Right, and those are also still limited to where you cannot um, really shoot to an external device. Right, you can't iPhone. run a, I mean, you can send video out of an iPhone uh, via... You but know, you can't run it to like an SSD drive. You can't or, run it to like an Atomos or you know an external recorder okay. of any quality. I, right. I've never really tried it with an external recorder. Uh, because there's a lot of other things involved. There's HDCP, which is like content protection and everything like that. So I don't know really what's involved, but uh, it's really not made for that. Right. No, it's it's made for people who want to get high quality video in from their pocket, like yeah. in a yeah. in, you know. So you're really in kind an of, instant, instantly available. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. In it, a format. Yeah. Pull yeah. it out and shoot it. And yeah. You're really you know, so if you're using these things to shoot any kind of a, a, a fictional narrative movie you're really stretching it beyond its limitations. And the thing, now here's the other thing is, I don't know who's seeing these movies. I, I've seen, I, I haven't seen all of Unsane, but I saw the trailer for Unsane, and I saw High Flying Bird, which is on Netflix. Mm. Have you guys seen either of these films? I, I saw parts of Unsane. Yeah. And uh, it was one of those things where I was like watching it and stopped watching it and watching it and stopped watching it. Because my thing is... I think it's streaming on Amazon. Or yeah, something it like is. That right it's now. one of it's on one of the many streaming platforms. My thing is is that um, when you're shooting, and it, it's just because of, I guess, just the way I am. When you're shooting on something that is, uh, I would say lower, lower quality. I, I don't want to say lower quality. That's probably a misnomer, but um, something of not cinematic standard. Okay, right? you know. Okay. I always, I always find, time. yeah, I always find that you need to compensate. I think we're you going to offend iPhones. No, <laughs> I, you know, but but I don't want to say that something shot on these devices isn't of quality. No, you're right. You I know? mean, people are yeah. shooting because it's being done yeah. exactly, yeah. and you know, quality done. to me does not always necessarily mean that it's perfectly colored and and there's no grain and it's perfectly you know you know well is focused it, and the question like is that. is it right for the movie that exactly. you're making? That's the thing is that yeah. is it does it fit the aesthetic. Is of it, the story and does the story compensate right for that inability to have like these super superior visuals yeah, yeah. It, See, it comes down to anything else it's like is it the right tool for this job yes you can yeah. use it but, right but you know but you're not gonna you couldn't have made apocalypse now on an iphone right you and a lot of cocaine <laughs> <laughs> but like the um like i've seen i watched high flying bird and i kept thinking uh the the there's no the the depth of field is like infinite. Right. He he used an an amorphic adapter, but everything is basically a wide shot. Yeah. So when you go into close up, like your faces get a little bit distorted. Uh. So it's not very flattering to actors. Well, because the native lenses on there are just they're not meant. They're crazy they're, wide. They're meant. To, that's because nobody takes a close up, because th those cameras are designed for the shot. Like you said, pull it right out of your pocket and take the shot. Yeah, you know, and they have those special modes like that—the portrait modes now that right. that actually uses uh, the secondary. Uh, that's we like my iPhone has two uh, sensors in it, and one is technically for depth, and mm. and the other one is the main is the main uh, visual sensor. Now, does that work for video or just for? Uh, for oh, it does work for video. It does. It does work for video somewhat. Yeah, somewhat. So, I mean, but the any bokeh that you're going to get or any 
shallow. Most dip- of that has to be artificially introduced. Right. It's anyway. it's a it's an illusion. It's not from a lens. It's it's created digitally. And in some thing. ways, shooting on an iPhone means more post production mm. to achieve the look that you want. Right. Because right. you know right. you know I was always taught you know from my days in film school and from learning film and everything like that is that you know you get it right on the shot. Because you don't want to sit, because mostly, mostly because back then there wasn't a lot you could do in post production. Right. Not that it is now. Literally. And it would be highly expensive. And it would be highly expensive, more hours, it more time. It still is. Now it's, it's the reverse. But now it's the reverse. Now they shoot very minimalistically, and then everything is done in post. But you still need a, a DI on set. You still need a colorist. Like well, all, all of the stuff that. Most of the larger productions that you go to, most of the big budget films, they have they cut the film right as they're shooting it, right? And they, they color they, it and they do previs for all the graphics teams and everything like that, and literally they're sending it overseas or wherever, uh, you know, to uh, over a VPN to uh, you know production house or an effects house, and they're cutting it and doing previs right as they're literally shooting the scene. Yeah. Yeah. And then they can literally go back to the projector, the, the projector, the director and say, here's what it looks like. Do we need to reshoot it? With, um, so, but for these movies, I mean, Soderbergh is, he's not doing this for a movie that's made for a million five. No, because and, and Sean an Baker wasn't, director. yeah. He, and Sean Baker wasn't doing this when he made a hundred thousand dollar feature, you know? So the people who are using iPhones, they're not necessarily probably putting in the same kind of post-production as, you know, one of the bigger budget movies. No, but I also think they're getting the shot the first time around. You know, they're not lighting it, they're shooting it, they're getting the set and everything like that. Because as Soderbergh says, there are limitations with lighting, there are limitations, there are a lot of limitations shooting on an iPhone. And you can see it too, like when you watch the movies, I mean, and here's the thing, and and this is, you know, this is a, a bigger question is like, do audiences care? Mm. You know, like we care because we right. thank you, YouTube. Uh, yeah, right. So, uh, do we? Do we? Like when? When? So when I watched the when I watched High Flying Bird, I was watching it particularly because it was shot on an iPhone. It was. It, the, it's about basketball. It's about the sports sort of uh, industrial complex in basketball. Right. Uh, I'm not a huge basketball fan, and being the height that I am, I didn't play a lot of basketball. <laughs> you and growing. I turned down NBA contracts, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I couldn't even I couldn't make it in the WNBA. Like they would just jump over me. I like, couldn't deliver water to the NBA. <laughs> but like, so it, it was about it was it wasn't particularly subject matter that interested me. But I got you know, and it, but it's well directed. Yeah. The acting is very good. It's 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 well written. But and the, that's where that compensates. But I I did notice. But you visuals. noticed it because that's what that's your eye is trained for that. I you know I work primarily in corporate video and corporate uh, filmmaking, and m- in my experience, when you're dealing with people who have you know no vested interest in filmmaking and film and everything and visuals, eight out of ten times they will not see the difference between 1080p and 4K. They will not see the difference between well, twenty four frames and, and thirty frames where is or sixty it, frames. Where is it living too? Like if you're watching yeah. this, uh, you know, for for a Netflix movie particularly, like most people watch it on the computer. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I've shot stuff for clients where they're like, "Hey, can we shoot this in four K?" And I'm like, "Why?" Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the, and the, that's because they hear a buzzword. They hear four K, four K. That means more professional. Like you were telling me, clients that we've had that are like, "Oh, we want to shoot this on an Ari Alexa," and you're like. You don't need to shoot it on there. Half your budget is going to go into renting the hour. Right. Like, so you don't need it. And, and the, so. the, the biggest format that you're going to watch this thing on is uh, 
Instagram. Right. You know, so or like right. shooting, Facebook. Yeah, shooting something on like a Super 35 sensor or something like that that's going to be shown on Facebook is like, you know, driving a Ferrari in like a go-kart race. It's like, yeah. you know. It's like, why? You're going to win. Yeah. And you're going to look cool doing it. And, but, but what the hell? I mean, yeah. <laughs> these phones too, like they, they do shoot 4K. But yeah. the 4K now, uh, but it's you, highly compressed 4K. See, this is what I want. See, when people say, "Oh, you can shoot 4K with an iPhone," the 4K that you're getting from an iPhone is not the same 4K that you're getting out of a Sony A7 III. And it's not true 4K. It's UHD. Explain that. Well, there's there's DCI 4K, which is the cinema standard of 4K, which is 4096 by. I don't, you know, I don't remember my resolutions too well. And then there's UHD, which is technically ultra high definition. It's like which three thousand something. something. Yeah, yeah, that's more traditionally called 4K because that's the broadcast standard of 4K. That's what more broadcast material is, and it's a, it's a, it's, it's, and actually the difference in in is negligible on screen in terms of framing and everything like that. But in terms of file sizes and the data you're working with, it's it's very it's a very big difference. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because so, when you edit 4K footage, um, and this is the other thing too, is that you have to think about. It's like in your edit flow. I mean, one of the reasons you to use an iPhone maybe is because you're going to be dealing with smaller files, yeah. and if you don't have a huge budget to buy tons of data storage, well, I'm going to pose a question to Chris because okay. Chris is Chris is an audio guy, and I see a lot of the same parallels happening in video. Now I was I was sitting that, here thinking the exact. Audio Same back thing. in the '90s, yep. when digital and analog and everything changed, absolutely. So I, I would ask you, as as my main audio guru here, what what are those parallels, and do you see that happening? Right it's now? exactly, especially when you said, you know, people learn the buzzwords. Yeah. Like for a long time, you know, Pro Tools was the buzzword. Oh yeah. And if you if you said that, you didn't have Pro Tools, you weren't professional. Yeah. And you know that's that's changed a lot with yeah. you know. Well, uh, that was the people. quote indie uh, uh, industry uh, industry standard. standard. Pro right. Tools was yeah. the Xerox. Right. Exactly. You know, was the Kleenex. Yeah. You know, right. Whenever you referred to a DAW, yeah. a digital audio workstation, Pro Tools. Yeah. And and for a time, if you you know if you told someone you had a studio or you were an engineer. If you said you you were using anything other than Pro Tools, you weren't taken seriously. Yes, yeah, nobody. Th everybody thought you were you were just like a Rudy Poop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, and then like, so here's another question too. Like, thing, well, I was gonna, I'm sorry, I was just gonna say the same thing comes with like recording. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. It's like now and you needed thousands of dollars for like the the 16 tracks, the, the sound design, and now you go get a little you know Zoom box. Yeah, yeah. And you I mean, get four tracks four. of digital 48 kilohertz mm -hmm. audio. That's my, clean. My yeah. first short film uh, on 16 millimeter, we we did the sound with a Nagra. Yeah, you mm -hmm. know. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. We had real to real man. Yeah, I had a Marantz real to real back wow. in the day. Uh, but yeah. it's like. The other question is, so the other thing that, and, and it sort of starts with people going to the iPhone is like, is there really an industry standard anymore? You know, I, I'm an editor, I edit on Final Cut, and that we can do a whole show just on Final Cut versus yeah. Premiere versus Avid. Yeah, sure. But, you know, Final Cut can do everything that Premiere can do and yeah. can do everything that these other, they're just non-linear, non-destructive yeah. editing programs. And that's what I used to, you know, when I was teaching, That's because one of the number one question I would get asked at the start of every term is, what's the best DAW to use? What's the re best recording Yeah, everybody's software? like, hey, what's the best what's one? What's the best I one? Buy that one. I want that one, yeah. And, I, and I would, my answer was always the same, was what do you want to do with it? Yeah. yeah. I you always know? relegate it to a car. Yeah. And I always tell people, and I actually just had this conversation with one of my PAs the other day, 
and he's like, oh, I, I want to buy, I, I, I want to set up uh, this studio. At, he works at a school. Uh-huh. He's like, I want to, you know, my students are working at this, you know, school, and we want to set up a TV studio. Okay. How much money do I need to spend? And I say, it's like a car. Yeah. You can spend as much as one hundred and fifty thousand dollars on a car, yeah. and it will still drive you to where you want to go. Right. You can spend twelve thousand dollars on a car, and, and it will still drive you exactly where you want to go. Yeah. It's how you get there, and all the different things you, you can do, do with, with it, it. Yeah. is what makes the difference. Right. So it's like you got to be a little bit more specific. specific. Yeah. You got to exactly. you got to understand, and you yeah. also have to understand your limitations. Yeah. I mean, and I think Jay, you run into that so many times. Yeah. You understanding well, your limitations in terms of the technology. Well, it's also not only. It's the limitations of budget most of the time. Yeah. Right. You know, when right. somebody says, you know, I've got 300 bucks or I've got 500 bucks and I want you to shoot this thing. Well, you know, you're paying for my expertise. You're paying for my gear and all that kind of stuff. But you're also, you know, where's this going? Where's yeah. it? Where, where, where's its final destination? Yeah, where's yeah. it resting? What yeah. platform is going to sit and, on? You know, somebody approached me about, uh, you know, shooting something one time for a Jumbotron in Times Square. And very low resolution, you would be fine. Yeah, well, that's one of the things we had to find out. Is like, well, do we need 4K to shoot this and boil it down because it's so big? Mm-hmm. And then I, I remember talking to somebody. He said exactly that. Yeah, they, he said, yeah, surprisingly, the, the yeah, resolution. Yeah, any not... kind of baseball stadium stuff like that because they're large LED formats, so it's really small. Yeah. yeah, but like, so it's is it the right tool for the job? And I think maybe, and you know, like. I'm not going to question Steven Soderbergh because he's a much better filmmaker than I am. Uh, but uh, you know, I've like, seen some of his stuff. Yeah. He's, he's, I, he's I think right. I think he hits the line there yeah. with you a little bit. Yeah, I mean, but like um, you know, he not in you know we talk about him as this indie sensa- sensation, but you know he also did like Ocean's Eleven. Well, it's, right. that's that's not his art. Like I was saying, he right. has his art right. and he has the check. You but, know, right. money, you know. but the you check know, that funds the art. exactly. Yeah. But one is as well directed as the other. Well, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but when I saw High Flying Bird, I was like, I, I, maybe you could have used a better camera. You know, maybe. That's the pitfall. You know, may, maybe don't shoot. Like Now, do you think, that it, was that because that's the filmmaker Jay going, oh, I want this to look better? Or is that the watching a film Jay going, ah, the story isn't quite there. It doesn't really feel right. It's hard to say because I can't separate one from the other, of course, you know. Yeah, but like course. when I when I look at a movie and you know, like there there are people who just gobsmack you with visuals. Like when you see a movie like Blade Runner twenty forty nine, uh, when Roger Deakins shot that film, that movie is a theatrical experience. Like yeah. that is a movie that you go to the theater to see because it's worth it. the sound design, the mix, yeah. the visuals are. You know, and the, you know, and that's why I think cinema movie, like theatrical movies, will never die because you still cannot get that experience. Yeah, I was going to say that it's the, at there, home there is this, your, there's still yeah, an experience yeah. that you will never get on a phone or yeah. in your I mean, on your TV screen. Exactly. You, you got a big TV and it comes pretty close, but you know, no, because it doesn't give you that. When you sit down, the lights go down and the sound comes up. You're yeah. you're it's it's an immersionary experience. You're immersed yeah. in this film. You really can't do that at home. Yeah. I mean, you got your stuff, you and got your yeah. little sound bar, you maybe you got a nice surround sound system. Yeah. You're not in unless you're like, you know, very wealthy. And I live on Long Island, so I've seen some of these homes that probably have these gigantic studios in them. 
But uh, unless you have a screening room, yeah, unless like, you have you a know, screening room, you know, you don't, sound. you can't disappear from your life. Exactly, your and that's why I go to movies. Yeah, I don't care, you know. And people like yell at me, like, "Oh man, why are you going to see that Marvel film? They're just like capitalist crap, you know." Blah blah blah. And I'm like, because I don't want to live my life for two and a half hours. hours. I yeah. want to. I want to be in a superhero. I want to be in a comic book. Yeah. I want to just have fun and enjoy. Mm-hmm. A film for two hours and not remember yeah, everything and, that's going and on. Maybe by that same argument is why something like High Flying Bird is a Netflix movie. Well, mm. I also think that you know mm. Netflix. I, I love. Uh, I love the. I forget. I think it was. Uh, was it South Park that did? You know, Hi Netflix, you're greenlit. Hi yeah. Netflix, you're greenlit. <laughs> and that is important because the next. So the, not true, the, by the, the way. The, no. I know. I know. But that is the next uh, quote unquote, like technically arms race. Of media, the media is now all of these platforms need content. Content, yeah, content, content, content. And you know, maybe you know, and I do, I do feel like, you know, this like faster, cheaper uh, type of filmmaking turnaround. Yeah, great, but are we getting the quality? Is it as good or better? Yeah. Yeah. When you've got, you know, it. it, So you get a film like High Flying Bird, which is made for a a low-ish budget, whatever Netflix decided that was and then you know martin scorsese is making his film the irishman for that and you know they're doing their di- they're digitally de-aging everyone's yeah. face but then now you're talking now, now all of the production work whereas the production work used to be in camera setups and lighting setups now all the post all the production work is done in post, post. right right but you, but you still have to hire uh fifty thousand digital animators yeah, but you know to do you, all you that shoot stuff. for you know these movies it used to be you shoot a mo- you shot a movie over six months and you were in post for a couple months, and you you, you you popped it out. Now it's you shoot a movie for a month or three months, and then you're in post for like two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. A lot of these that big budget, true. you know, uh, CG heavy films, they are shot two years ago, and they're in post for like years yeah. just yeah. to get everything right. And then yeah. I remember uh, I was in the audience of it was I, I was watching Iron Man three, and you know it's a Marvel film, so you got to sit to the end. And then there was a <laughs> there was this. Uh, row after row of all the VFX guys yeah. that worked on it mm-hmm. for and there's like, like 50, 50 different companies yeah. for yeah, like yeah, yeah. 15 minutes man just it's solid just white and, and if you want to talk about a really exploited division yes. of oh my god is you yes. have to talk about the effects it's, artists. Yes. Those are the most probably those they, those guys. You know, they're some of the most they make, talented people in the world. And they and it's the so way exploited. it's the way their contracts yeah, are negotiated. They, they negotiate so, for a flat rate because no matter how con- many times they have to do it over. Yeah. No there's a great documentary about, about it. Yeah, about Rhythm um, and Hughes. Yeah, and was it um, the guys who did Life of Pi? Life of Pi. By the won. time they went up to get the Oscar, they, they were already bankrupt. Out of business. They were out of business. And that's a whole other story. But I mean, but when you're an indie filmmaker. But this actually goes to indie filmmaking because now the effects work is now on the is coming to the consumer level. Now you mm-hmm. have indie filmmakers. Uh, oh, I can't remember his name. The guy who did Monsters. Oh yeah, the, he's he got the he got he did, Godzilla. He got Godzilla. Garrett yeah. Garrett Edwards was that, that was that right. his name? But yeah. but he did Gareth Edwards. I think. Gareth yeah, Gareth yeah, Edwards. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, but he uh, he did Monsters, which is a low budget. Indie film, right? Shot literally with one camera, where he was literally with his guy, couple guys and their fixer driving through different parts of South America, filming. Mm-hmm. Most of the people you see in the film are not actors; it's just people they were filming. Right. And then he literally cut the effects on his laptop. He did. He was a he was an effects guy to begin with, okay. and he literally did all the effects for that movie on his laptop. 
as you know an indie filmmaker right. so you know there's there's so much of an explosion in this techno technological futurism that we have right. now that is really bringing just like audio in the 90s yeah how absolutely everything the it, home studio it democratized home, home studio yeah you know, it, now you yeah. don't have to go to the, like the big sound stage. You can do exactly. everything in your house, which yeah. unfortunately killed studios, killed a lot of studios. There's still you know. studios out yeah. there. There's because there's, there's still some stuff that I like. You know, we can do a podcast or something here, but there's still stuff I can't do. You, you don't know? have a space for a full full four. I was gonna say I was got for orchestra, but yeah, like, I can't I can't like, track live drums. Yeah, but there are a lot less of those places now. There right? are, you know? there are. I think a lot of that is their own fault because most of them were so cost prohibitive. Yeah. yeah, and what they you know and compete and the competition used to be is who's the more expensive studio, who's the better studio, right? And you know now, but it's the same thing with in our business. Business in terms of editing and production and everything like that, you used to have to go to an editing house. Now yeah. you had no option. There was now, no other choice. You know, a friend no... of mine, he works for uh, he works for uh, an overseas film company. He literally cuts his dailies on the train to work. Yeah, wow. it's um. Uh, by the way, that movie Monsters that you mentioned, budget on that five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So half, wow. half and a million. You sh- and I definitely recommend you watch it because also uh, Scoot McNeary is in it, who is a really, really great unsung actor. I loved him. He was uh-huh. on Halt and Catch Fire. He was really great. He was actually in uh, Batman vs. Superman. He was the guy that got his legs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good actor. Yeah, good he's, actor. He's a great. I love him. But um, he, uh, it's a, he's in it. It's a great film. And it really kind of was this really... That, along, I think, with uh, District 9, which is one of my favorite, uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. really kind of showed how far indie film had progressed to mainstream in terms of what they were able to do with the indie-sized crew and post-production and integrating that and showing how post-production really has come to the indie film. And I think the the moral of the story is, you know, for anybody looking to do this stuff, I mean, especially with effects works and stuff, like, you still need everything that you, you need on a on a quote real film set or but you just need less of it you know um and i don't know i would love for anyone out there who has shot something on an iphone to let us know about it i Um, personally just as a closing thought i personally love the fact that there are these you know iphones and everything that you can shoot on i love it i really do because my personal feeling is is that there are people out there when i taught uh weekend courses for adults in filmmaking and everything like that years ago you know, and I put cameras into people's hands who have never had a camera before, who yeah. never could afford a camera before, who never even thought of having a camera before, who didn't have the technical expertise about it. Some of the stuff that these people came back with was incredible. Yeah, and I user friendly. Exactly, of this you're stuff. giving a, a voice, you're giving an ability to a whole generation of people, people who would never who probably would never be able to pick up a camera, never go to film school. Absolutely. And you know what? It's sure you, you get a lot of. You get junk, of, yeah. You get a lot of junk, but it's it's about that one guy, gal, whoever that just is has a natural innate ability yeah. to shoot. Yeah, yeah. And I remember uh, and that frame movie. the shot and, and tell the story and, and, and just be a filmmaker. Yeah. And then I think that's the most important. That was what indie film was all about to sure. give those people a chance. I mean, that was this is sort of like the and you didn't need anybody's permission to make a movie. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is what Francis Ford Coppola says in uh, in the documentary of the Making Apocalypse Now, Hearts of Darkness. He's like, you know, I want to take the so-called professionalism out of filmmaking. And, you know, one day some little girl in Indiana becomes the next Mozart, 
you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that's the same thing with audio and the same mm, thing with video. It's yeah, like yeah. it went from being a very exclusive club yeah. where you had to have X amount of dollars or no X yeah. amount of people to be able to even get close to any of this yep. to now anybody can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the next question gonna, is though: is, Does that make it harder for the rest of us to try to make a living? But uh, I think what's happening now is, I think there was a, a a kind of loss of quality for a long time, yeah. and people really didn't recognize quality. But now, I think that since everything is so saturated, the cream is still going to float to the top. I think so. I think more people now are going to be looking for quality. Yeah, right? I think quality that is becomes the ba- that's the baseline. Yeah, so you have to, you know. You come with that, but you still have to have the story. Yeah. You still have to have, you know. Yeah. The, that's now what's really going to come You still have back. to have the skill. You yeah. Know? The skill needs to be there in some respect. That, I, we could definitely talk more about that, but we got to move on, yes. fellas, because we're running out of time. Yep. So, uh, Chris, what's the next thing uh, on our list? All right. Uh, next come up, comes up <laughs> is uh, Tracy Buckles. This is a uh, indie film from the West Coast from L.A. Uh, their press release says Tracy Buckles is an award-winning fantasy web series that has been described as a mashup between Harry Potter and a Judd Apatow comedy. Yeah, this is a really interesting. So this came to I'm me. I'm interested. Uh, yeah, because it's something I would want. <laughs> yeah. you know. This came to me, uh, the, the, um, the filmmaker Robin Nystrom, I think is how you say his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, sent it to me, uh, and uh, yes, for all of the, I, I believe it's Swedish. Yeah. Uh, he's a Swedish-born filmmaker. Um, so th- he sent me a press release. I'm, I'm, I, I asked him how he found out about us. He said, "Well, you know, I was looking for podcasts that did any film, and I came across yours, and we had put out the call, you right? Know, to yeah. tell us about your project." So awesome! I, I so wanted to call out again. Yeah, well, uh, I will at the end of the episode, but I want to say, too, like, um, we have to, uh, just for a bug in your guys here, we have to think of a cool name for this, like Indie Film Spotlight, or something that we can call it where we can highlight some new projects every week. Absolutely. uh, This one, um, the, the, the press release goes on to say, in a world where spells and potions are commonplace, a young woman named Tracy Buckles is struck by a despicable curse that prevents other people from hearing her voice. She joins forces with a nameless drifter and a, a bubbling, a bumbling. bumbling wizard, in order to break free of the evil sorcery. With a dynamic female lead and plenty of irreverent humor and a sprinkle of magic, um, I caught a couple of the episodes online. Mm-hmm. It's now um, Tracy Buckles is um, now uh, streaming on Vimeo. Okay, and it's by newcomers Anna Lake, Macy Wilson and Sergio uh, Gavida, Gavidia, uh, and written directed by uh, Robin Nystrom, who I mentioned before. So uh, just released, it just came out uh, earlier this month, and uh, the website is tracybuckles.com, and it's also streaming on video. It's a great name. That is. Tracy Buckles. I don't yeah. know, I feel yeah. like it's a, the 90s folk singer. Right? The, the, I got a fast car. Oh, that's Tracy. Tracy Chapman. Tracy, sorry. Yes. <laughs> uh, but like, it, it's, um, it's, uh, it's pretty fun. I caught a couple of the episodes, and uh, it's one of those series where I could recognize that it was made, it, it's, qual- it, it, it's, it's quality made, like it, it's, it's, it's quality a well, on a budget. Yeah, it's, yeah, and it's as we were talking about, uh, yeah. and and it does capture a certain sensibility. Um, I don't think this is written or made for me per mm-hmm. se. Uh, it's not made for forty-year-old uh, dudes, <laughs> but it's um, but it, it, I think it, it definitely might find an audience. And uh, I'm also wondering, you know, uh, we have to do a, a whole episode just on the web series. Yeah, and I think web series need a different name. I think when you say web series, people automatically assume that's sort of diminished well, quality. Well, it's changed so much. 
since yeah. webisodes yeah. and web yeah, yeah, like yeah. vlogs. Yeah. Nobody mm-hmm. says vlogs anymore. Yeah, these are, it's really changed. These are uh, short. These are pretty short. They're like four or five minutes long. Okay. Uh, so they're really like quick little nuggets. Mm. Um, but it's pretty good, and I, I think you should check it out. Go to TracyBuckles.com for that one. Awesome. And we will continue to highlight uh, – more uh, more of the indie film and series on, on the show as much as we can uh, as we get guests on and so forth. Uh, and then I just want to give you guys, before we go, a preview of upcoming episodes. If you haven't already, check out this week's uh, episode, which is Jose Rodriguez, who comes to us from the Tribeca Film Institute. Nice. Uh, he heads up their documentary program, and uh, he gives a, us a lot of great info in the interview and what they do at TFI. If you don't know, they're a great organization. He does the documentary program. There's also a narrative program there. They give grants to filmmakers, and their minimum grant is like 10 grand. So if you're you're, you're looking for completion money or if you're trying to get your doc off the ground, he'll tell you everything in this this interview. He'll tell you everything you need to do in order to work with them. That sounds very important. Yeah, great great episode. And if you didn't catch the week before... uh, the episode that we did with uh, Richard LeMay is also great. We do a deep dive on directing. He made a film called Bloodbound. Yeah. Before that, he did Dimension Thirteen. He's on. He's been on the. He's been on the show twice. I've interviewed him live in front of an audience. He's and a great guy to talk too. to. He's good to talk to. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. and he's. He, we had a lot of fun because you know yeah. now that we know each other a little bit better too, it was a lot of fun to talk to him. Um, and that's about all we got. Uh, so this was great. And thank Chris. Thanks for for having us uh, yeah, here at Soundhouse. And uh, I want to thank the audience. Thank you all for taking this trip down the rabbit hole. And I want to thank you for finally having me on. Well, we finally got good. you here, yeah, man. I know. Yeah. It's, it's a bit you. of a schlep to get out here, but it was awesome. He schlepped all the way. He, he snuck out of the house from his wife and child. And yes. <laughs> yes. I'm a terrible <laughs> father a Sunday morning. and husband. Well, you're I'm going horrible. back. Thank you. You're so, going to go back. Like, yeah. You didn't leave forever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just want to let you all know now that I'm I'm alive. So if you don't hear from me for a while, you know why. It's it's not like a Springsteen song. You didn't go out for a pack of cigarettes you and not go back. You went out for a pack of cigarettes. You went out to do Recording a podcast. Recording a podcast. And we never saw him again. Wife murdered him when he got home. Yeah, honey, I'm, I'm going to. Tonight. It's like, yeah, honey, I'm, I'm going to do a podcast. Yeah, that's a ticket. That's it's it. a podcast. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when does this podcast come out? Nobody will remember that, Take it easy. <laughs> no, oh, yeah. If you get that reference, you're... You're probably too old to listen to this yeah. show. But um, no, it was really great to be here. It's really awesome. And uh, I think that this, uh, I, I really would have loved a podcast like this back when I was really serious in the indie scene. Back that's in what it's 90s. all about, it man. Because yeah. then you to just make... had to hustle everything to get a film, film you know, any information. Also, yeah, just get the information. When, yeah. when we were doing this podcast, weren't a thing. <laughs> they weren't around They, they were yeah. called a newsletter. Right. <laughs> but like, yeah, this is what, what we tried to create here is the, the, the informational, uh, the informational channel that would give us the information that we needed when we were starting out, or you know, even now when I'm trying to get to the next level yeah. of my career and talking. And to that's these always people. been the thing about indie film is that everybody helps each other, and yeah. everybody yeah. wants everybody else to succeed. I think we may have gotten away from that in recent years, but yeah. I hope it's. I definitely hope it's coming back. And uh, you know, everybody, you should be so lucky to have guys like this on your team. But anyway, thank you for joining us, and thank you for taking this trip down the rabbit hole. For more episodes, be sure to subscribe to this space, whichever space you happen to be watching. Watch. Well, this was just a listen episode, so whatever, ever, whatever space you happen to be listening to this episode on. And for more information and updates, you can always visit our website, norestfortheweekendpodcast.com. And 
as we mentioned before, if you're a filmmaker slash creator and you have a project that you would like, you think the world should know about and you think we should talk about on the show, send us a press release. Uh, if we think it's right for the podcast, we'll mention it on the show. We also, you know, we'll kind of quality control it as well because you know, we want other people to think they're getting good information and good stuff to watch. Right. Um, and, you know, you, it's a way for you guys to support each other. I think that's a... People like to support each other in making indie film, but they don't actually watch each other's stuff. So watch each other's stuff. Check this web series out. Get yes. in touch with this filmmaker. And you can send, so if you have, if you do have a project you want to send to us, you can send your press release to info at BehindTheRabbitProductions.com. Please be sure to include the words press release in the subject line and uh, put the title of the project in there as well. And if you have questions about filmmaking or topics that you want to hear covered on this show, uh, you can always tweet at us at BTR Productions or you can find us on Instagram at No Rest of the Weekend. Let us know what your questions are. Let us know what topics you want to hear covered. Do you find this information useful? Uh, all that good stuff. We want your feedback because that's how we make a better show. Once again, I'd like to thank my uh, my cohorts today, Mr. Christopher Gillard. Yes, sir. And Mr. Marcello Carnavale. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here, guys. And for Behind the Rabbit Productions, I'm Jason Godby. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. 